This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. So you need to be saving and more so than saving, investing in something that's going to generate a return that exceeds inflation in order to maintain your purchasing power. And that's especially true when you are trying to achieve goals that are many years out because just like investment returns compound and build on each other, inflation does too. dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do three things. First, we'll be answering a question from the Marriage, Kids, and Money community about if you should be worried about the stock market being down and inflation being high. Second, we are back with our fintech spotlight segment. Today, we're going to be highlighting Just Law. This is a company dedicated to providing marital peace of mind with prenups. We'll be chatting about the reasons why a prenuptial agreement, especially in a second marriage, is probably a good idea. And last but not least... We're back with another money quiz. My daughter Zoe's going to be reading the review of the month, and I'll be quizzing her on some funny money stuff. All right, let's jump into today's show. I received a question on Instagram from Jennifer, and you can find me there at Andy Hill MKM. And here is her question. Thank you for the podcast and posts. I just started investing and the market has gone down a lot. Did I get in at the wrong time? Also, should I be worried about inflation as a new investor? Sorry, this stuff is all new to me. Jennifer. Jennifer, thank you very much for connecting on Instagram. I appreciate that. And yes, depending on when you're listening to this episode, everybody, the stock market has been off to a slower start this year, and that can have new investors like Jennifer feeling low. And the record-breaking inflation isn't helping those feelings either. To help me answer your question today, Jennifer, I've invited Megan Rebuse on the show today. Megan, also known as the Family Finance Mom, is the host of the popular Finance Explained podcast. She spent nearly a decade as a financial analyst before spending the last seven years as a stay-at-home mom to three little ones. Her expertise in finances and family is perfect for this question. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thanks so much, Andy, for having me. Absolutely. I'm very happy to have my birthday twin here. Yes, everybody, we have the exact (laughs) same birthday. Isn't that weird? Yeah, we hit the big 4-0 this month. (laughs) Well, let's answer Jennifer's question together here, Megan. Should she be concerned when the stock market is down like this? So first of all, I just want to say you're absolutely not alone in asking this question and Andy and receiving these questions. I'm getting them a ton from my listeners and followers as well. And, you know, I feel like whenever the market ticks down, everybody kind of starts to panic, especially new or less experienced investors. And I'd like to kind of make this analogy for people. Anytime you are interested in buying something, 
and suddenly it goes from being full price to being on sale, you're usually excited about that, right? Like there's a pair of boots that you're admiring and all of a sudden you get like that email that says, oh, they're now 10% off or 15% off. You're like, score. And that's like your motivation to go buy it when maybe you've been holding out before. I would say people should think about when the stock market sells off in a similar way. Instead of it kind of inciting or provoking panic, think of it as the market being on sale. In many contexts, these are all the same businesses that were available at a you know 5 or 10% higher price a week ago, and you can now buy it for less. Now, if you are going to be retiring tomorrow and you are more concerned about capital preservation and certainty, we can talk about that a little bit more in a second about ways to you know, maybe shift the balance of your portfolio to something that is more preserving your capital. But if you are looking at saving for retirement or saving for your kid's college and that goal is... 10 years away, 20 years away, 30 years away, you should not be concerned about kind of the up and downs of the market on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. And instead, you should think about it as getting that email from your favorite store saying, hey, I'm on sale today. I like that. I like that. That is a good way to think. And you know what? Get your sales, everybody, right? So let's talk about inflation, though. That's spooky, right? Should I run and hide under my desk right now because of inflation? Right. So, you know, inflation, I think, has been probably the single biggest impact on family finances universally over the last year. And I think most experts will tell you, like, it's not going away anytime immediately. You know, it will gradually decline, but we're not going to see a reversal, right? We're not going to, it's highly unlikely we're going to see deflation. We hopefully will see kind of a slower, or reduced level of inflation that is more normal is kind of that more like 2% level. What I would say is that higher inflation and just inflation in general should be something that motivates people to take risk and invest more because that is how you are going to preserve the purchasing power of your dollar. You know, if I take a dollar and I shove it under my mattress Inflation means that that, you know, today, the latest numbers on inflation as of December, the CPI was at 7%, meaning that prices in December were 7% higher for the same goods and services as they were the year before. So if you put a dollar under your mattress back in December of 2020, last month, it could only buy 93 cents worth of the same goods is kind of the way to think about it. So you need to be saving and more so than saving, investing in something that's going to generate a return that exceeds inflation in order to maintain your purchasing power. And that's especially true when you are trying to achieve goals that are many years out because just like investment returns compound and build on each other, inflation does too. So if you're not putting your money somewhere that's going to earn you an annual return that exceeds inflation, you're losing purchasing power on your money. Let's talk about maybe the swing side of that is, should I have no money in my account then? Because is it just losing value? Where do we draw the line with having money in our accounts? So I think you're kind of saying like, you know, should I not keep anything in my checking account? Should I not keep anything in a savings account? Yeah, like I've seen some talk on Twitter, like maybe I should just be investing everything and just put my emergencies on credit cards. Is that a smart idea? Let's talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah. So a couple things. One, I think it's always smart to have, especially like something, you know, an emergency fund, something that is going to, the kind of rule of thumb I give people is A, at a minimum, something that is going to cover like the deductibles. Because if you think about that, that's like an emergency, right? Like you have a car accident, you got to meet your deductible, you need cash on hand. That is money that you need certainty around. It's money that you need in the short term. I'd say kind of anything where like funds you might need inside of kind of like a two to three year time horizon, that should be funds that you want kind of liquid and accessible. And when I say liquid, I mean like I can go to the bank and I can have that cash in my hand today within 24 hours kind of scenario. In terms of relying on credit cards as an emergency fund, you know, that can come with some element of risk too, because, you know, if you put more on it, then you're going to be able to pay off, for example, it's going to cost you significantly more, forget inflation, forget like your investment on the stock market return. Like, you know, many credit cards today have double digit interest rates. And so, you know, that's going to potentially cost you more. It depends on your level of discipline, kind of your comfort with doing that. But I would say that's kind of the way I think about it, that anything you need kind of inside of like a two to three year time horizon is important to kind of keep liquid. When people talk about like investment returns, you should always think of them in a kind of a long term context. So when people talk about the stock market returns, call it eight to 10% annually, that is an average level of return that has been true over like the last century that includes all the ups and downs along the way, but in any given year, it could be different. And so to realize that kind of annual average, you need a longer term time horizon. I like this level we're talking about. We've got the maybe 10 to 20 to 30 years for my retirement. Then I've got my two to three years that maybe I want liquid. Is there somewhere in the middle? Let's say I want to do a home upgrade in like 10 years. What else can I use besides these aggressive stocks to maybe have some midterm goals? Sure. So there's, you know, even within stocks, you know, we tend to kind of talk about most people talk about kind of three buckets when it comes to investing. There's cash, there's stocks, there's bonds. Stocks are going to always be kind of higher risk. In exchange for that higher risk, you get higher return. Bonds are kind of a middle range. Bonds are essentially investing in publicly traded debt. And because of that, it has greater certainty. It has less risk. In the event of a bankruptcy, the debt or the bonds get paid off first, which is why they are less risky than, say, stocks, which are the equity of a company. And they also carry what is known as interest payments. So every year, you're going to get a certain level of interest paid out on that bond. And so it will likely, depending on kind of the credit risk of the company, depending on the term on the bond, is it a five-year bond, a 10-year bond, a 30-year bond? That's going to determine the interest that it gets that gets paid out. But it's kind of a middle ground that you can straddle if you're looking for like a mid-range goal. I would also say that stocks themselves have varying degrees of risk, right? So there are the, you know, brand new IPO'd right out of venture capital stocks that, you know, may have 30% growth targets and have no earnings yet and could, you know, blow up and make you 40 times your money, or they could also not exist next year. And then there are the Coca-Colas of the world and the trying to think of like some other good ones that, you know, we're going to have like dividend yields on them that are going to pay. Johnson and Johnson or. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, 
stocks are not all are not all equal. They're not all similar. They don't all have the same risk profile. So there are some things you can look at, you know, to balance that risk depending on your time horizon. Well, let's assume Jennifer shares a birthday with us. She's right around the same age as us and she's got 20 years to retirement. And she's like, this all sounds great. I just want to make sure I'm doing my retirement thing. What's a way that she can just keep this process simple? Sure. So one of the things that I recommend to people, if they're first starting out, if they're overwhelmed by kind of like, you know, I don't know anything, or I am nervous about trying to do this myself because I don't have, like, I don't feel like I fully grasp all of these nuances. A great thing that is available now for many people are target date funds and even target date index funds. So what is a target date fund? So there used to be kind of this saying called invest your age, which was like a simple rule of thumb for diversifying and balancing your portfolio. And so, you know, in our case, being 40 years old, invest your age would say, I should have 60% of my portfolio in equity and 40%, that's our age, in bonds. And so what would happen is as you approach retirement, as you want more certainty around the level of assets that you're going to have to live off of, you shift your portfolio away from riskier stocks and more towards kind of more certain and secure and income yielding bonds. So target date funds do that for you. It's a way where you could choose one investment allocation in like your 401k or your other retirement fund or IRA. You could contribute all of your money to that and it will diversify it in a stock index fund and a bond index fund. Now, I make the kind of distinction between some accounts offer straight up target date funds. Some offer target date index funds. Those are kind of ideal because they're going to have the lowest fees. And that can make a big difference in kind of your long-term investing horizon. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, there's people out there online or I've even caught myself doing it where they're like, hey, just invest in index funds. It makes it easy. Why might that advice for people who are in their 40s or approaching their 50s might not be as plain and simple as it needs to be? So a couple things. One, yes, an index fund is going to give you diversification within a specific asset class. So you, if you just invested in, say, the S&P 500 index, you're essentially putting 100% of your money in large cap stocks. And so, yes, you're diversified among stocks, but you're not diversified among different asset classes. So when I'm saying asset classes, these are groups of kind of financial securities that behave differently through different economic cycles, have different risk profiles. And so when you start to diversify not only among a single asset class like stocks, but across asset classes, you reduce kind of the risk profile of your investment portfolio. So a lot of times you can earn the same or similar return over time, but for less risk. So that means less ups and downs along the way. You can kind of remove some of that roller coaster feel of investing And so that would be kind of the one kind of point of caution I would make is that putting all your money in a single index fund in a single asset class isn't kind of giving you the entire bucket of diversification that you might want in your retirement portfolio or your kids, you know, college savings plan or, you know, whatever your goal is. 
I bring up that point because sometimes that can get lost in quick, short conversations on the internet where maybe you're DMing somebody and you can't have a 15-minute conversation on a podcast to explain that, that diversification within an index fund is fantastic, but also diversification amongst different asset classes is also helpful for your goals, depending on what you're you're investing for. If it's for retirement, if it's for that home model re-update, or your kid going to college in seven years, you know, having all of your investment in equities might be trouble if we have a five-year down market, right? Which has happened in the past. And the other thing too, is I think one thing that especially people who are new to investing may not appreciate as much as kind of experienced financial professionals is the concept of risk-adjusted returns. So, you know, when people are out there and they say, hey, I made 200% on this, you know, obscure small cap penny stock or whatever, Okay, but what was the volatility or the ups and downs that that stock took along the way? I think of like, a, a, this is kind of the context I think of like cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin in the last year has had huge returns, but it's also had like 50 to 100% swings along the way. And there aren't that many people out there, especially families who tend to be, you know, want a little more investment security, want a little more stability, who are going to be capable or psychologically able to kind of stomach that level of that's what I call volatility. That is the financial measure of risk. And so we all want something that's going to make a 200% return, right? Like everybody wants to get rich quick overnight. But the thing that I think people always leave out is the risk that is associated with making returns like that. And so the ideal is to have kind of high risk adjusted returns and diversification really allows you to do that. The opposite cousin from Dogecoin is bonds. And you've seen bonds over the past couple of years being like negative. So how can we recommend bonds to people when they've been uh, kind of uh, losers over the past couple of years? Tell us why that still needs to be something that maybe we should consider in our portfolio. So I think, you know, there's an inverse relationship a lot of times between interest rates and bond prices. And so when you're looking at like, the index performance of a bond, you're looking at the price performance of a bond. But that isn't necessarily showing you the benefit of the interest payment that you're gonna that you're gonna receive over time. It also isn't showing you the benefit of if I hold a bond to its maturity, I'm gonna get paid its face value no matter what. So what we've seen in like the last couple of years, especially, is interest rates declining, which causes bond prices to So basically, you have an inverse relationship between the price of a bond and interest rates. And so if an existing bond is, you know, paying 2% in interest rates right now, we're seeing interest rates starts to go back up, the price on that existing bond is going to fall because you can buy a newer bond at a higher interest rate today. But the reality is, is that's what you want to see happen. You want to see when the stock market is up 30%. You know, bonds are going to likely underperform, but the reverse is true as well. So when the stock market is going to sell off by 10, 15, 20% through like a recessionary phase, or like we saw in past recessions, bonds are going to typically outperform in those environments and offset that. And so that is what I'm talking about when we talk about risk-adjusted returns. So when we hear the Fed talk about raising interest rates, that could be a positive thing for bonds. It's not going to be a positive thing for bonds that are already outstanding because new issued bonds are going to be issued at a higher interest rate. But the 
idea is that over time, like especially if you're investing in like a bond index fund, those are going to renew over time at whatever the new interest rates are. And so you should think of it just kind of as a stable underlying component of kind of your portfolio. Now, what I would say is, you know, we're talking about risk adjusted returns. The earlier you are in kind of your investment journey, and the longer the time horizon that you have to reaching your goal, the more risk that you can take and kind of the less bond component you need. That was kind of the invest your age analogy I was making before. So that is kind of the way to think about it. And also kind of your risk tolerance. Like if you feel like you can stomach the fact that the market could be up 30% last year and this year it might not be. This year it might be zero or flat or, you know, right now it's heading towards correction territory, which is down 10% from its last high. You know, everybody has a different appetite for that. And that should kind of inform how you balance your portfolio. Got it. Got it. Well, there's somebody listening right now and they're saying, wow, this stuff is all just too confusing. My spouse is taking care of it. I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm going to let them take care of it. What would you say to that person? I would say it is okay to have different responsibilities and share responsibilities different in your, differently in your relationship. And it is certainly okay to kind of entrust the person who has, you know, more, whether it's financial knowledge or confidence to kind of take the lead, but be part of the conversation. Make sure you understand. And, and I say this as, you know, my audience tends to be 95% women, which is different than a lot of kind of financial audiences out there. And what I, the reason I say this is that something like 80 to 90% of women at some point in their lifetime will have to manage their finances on their own. And whether that is, you know, before they get married and they're single and they're living on their own, but more likely it will be at some point after their spouse passes away because women have longer life expectancies. We live longer than men. So at some point in your lifetime, you are going to have to take the lead on this. So, you know, I think there are lots of stories we hear where like, you know, my grandmother deferred everything to my grandfather. And if she had passed away before, or if he had passed away before her, I'm not sure she would have known like where the bank was. And so at a minimum, kind of make sure you understand where all your assets are, what accounts you have, how to access those accounts, the contact information, if you have like a financial advisor or an attorney, things like that. The other thing that I would say is that women and men just psychologically approach money differently. You know, women tend to be more conservative, more risk averse. But the reality is, is that we invest less because of those things. But when we actually invest, studies show that we outperform. And it's because we tend to not trade as much and not react as much. And that actually works in our favor. So having some balance in that relationship, talking about it together, making sure that the goals are not just, you know, trying to get the highest return possible, but maybe also maintaining some balance and security isn't always a bad thing. So make sure that at the minimum, you kind of know where everything is and that your voice and your concerns are heard and that you're at least part of the conversation. I think that's great. And just by the way, I'm probably 50-50 male-female on this show. So even for the gentlemen listening, I think this is a fantastic conversation and something that can be a great discussion at home too uh, with your spouse because transparency, as Megan said, even if you're not saying, hey, somebody has the reins, that's fine. But 
they need to be a part of the conversation. They need to understand what's happening, where it's going, and to your point, all of the information that's needed to access these accounts and everything like that. So, okay, so Jennifer was listening. Everybody else is listening. What's one step that somebody could take following this interview if they're ready to get started with investing today, but they want to keep things simple? What's one step that they could do? So the first thing that I always tell people when they're looking at investing is first define your goal. So, you know, just opening a brokerage account and putting money in willy nilly is kind of skipping ahead too far. So the very first thing you want to do is define your goal. Like what, what are you trying to invest for? And the reason I say that that's the most important first step is because depending on that goal, there are tax advantaged accounts and investment options that may be available to you. And as we all know, given where tax rates are, those tax advantages actually can give you a big boost kind of in the return potential of the time horizon. So that's where I would tell people to start. Like, don't just start picking stocks willy-nilly. Don't just go open a random brokerage account. Say, okay, I want to save for retirement. All right, well, what options do I have available to me? Do I have an employer-sponsored retirement account? Do I need to open an IRA? Am I investing to save for my kid's college? Well, then you could open a 529 plan that's going to be a tax advantage plan. But the place to start is kind of always with, you know, I think with a lot of financial journeys, the place to always start is what's the why? Because then that's going to lead you to make kind of the best choice that gives you the best kind of tax advantage return over time. That's fantastic advice. I'm so glad that I had you on here, Megan. Please let us know where people can connect with you, learn more from you. And where's this podcast? You can find me on Instagram at Family Finance Mom. That's kind of where I am most of the time. You can catch me there most days, Mondays and Wednesdays. I do live Q&A on Instagram too. So you can submit your questions and I'll take those. Once a week, I publish Finance Explained. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts, on Apple, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. And there, I tend to kind of highlight the top three financial headlines of the week. In addition to that, do a deep dive on a specific topic, often having experts from around the financial industry. This week's episode is going to feature a Zillow economist to talk about kind of the outlook on the 2022 housing market. So, you know, I would kind of to compare contrast with like what you offer, Andy, like you talk a lot about personal financial stories and people's personal financial journeys. At Family Finance Mom, I really try to build people's financial literacy and keep them aware of kind of what's going on in financial markets and financial news. And that will then enable you to make the best decisions for you and your family and and kind of the financial decisions that you're making. So that's where you guys can find me. Excellent. Yes. And everybody, I enjoy Megan's show so much. I listen to it every week on my walks and it's that financial literacy that I'm looking for on a weekly basis because sometimes, whatever, I'll flip on NPR or flip up Wall Street Journal or whatever and I just get these headlines of what's going on. Megan dives deep into what's actually happening so we understand the detail behind those quick headlines. So Megan, thank you so much for being here. Everybody check out her show. And Megan, thanks again for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, 
developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Let's jump back into the show. For our fintech spotlight segment this month, we are featuring Just Law, a company dedicated to providing marital peace of mind with flat rate prenup agreements. I've invited the founder and CEO of Just Law, Jason Gabbard, on the show today to tell us more about this legal marital fintech tool. And we're also going to discuss why prenups are a good idea in the first place. Welcome to the show, Jason. Good morning, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well, this is a topic that I know is important, but I ignored at the beginning of my marriage. So talk to us about what a prenup is or what is a prenuptial agreement? What does that even do? What is that? You know, quite simply, it's a contract. It's a contract between spouses and it's a, it's a sort of dormant contract. It, it doesn't really spring into effect unless something goes wrong with the marriage. So it's an agreement that you would sign with your uh, then fiance before you were married. And the agreement would set forth certain understandings, typically about financial matters, but not always about financial matters. It could be about more than that. And it specifies what would happen in the event things go wrong with the marriage. I kind of liken it to life insurance. It's one of those things that, oh, you know, you should probably do because you could die or your marriage could end. I mean, what is it? 40, 50 percent of marriages end in divorce. Is that right? Roughly half of marriages in divorce, and, and that's the first, you know the first marriage. I, I think for second marriages, it's something like sixty-five percent. They have done surveys of newly married couples right after the wedding. Only eleven percent of newly married couples will say that there is any possibility whatsoever that they could be divorced. 
<laughs> so there's like a massive disconnect between kind of expectation and reality. Yeah. The Wall Street Journal, I was just reading this, that the prenup trend, this is on the rise with millennials. So why do you think that is? Why do you think that is the case? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's a very good question. I think, you know, I think you, you have a few things that work there. I think there have been some pretty high profile divorces, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian, for example. And that's something that, you know, gets the attention of especially a younger audience. And and I think younger consumers are generally just more sophisticated than we used to be. You know, they have so much information available. So much information can be digested very quickly, you know, through the web and, and various social media platforms. And so I, I think that's a big part of it. I think, you know, a lot of these younger folks are, you know, building new kinds of assets, for example, digital assets. You know, we've, we've talked to people that are, are quite keen to protect their, you know, their social media profiles and accounts because they see those as something of value and, and, you know, they're not wrong. So yeah, I think it's a combination of factors, but I, I absolutely would agree with the article. We, um, you know, we're certainly seeing a lot of demand from younger folks as well. And we, we don't focus on any particular, you know, demographic within the large, you know, the population at large, but we, we tend to see a, a lot of action kind of, you know, couples in their 20s. And then we see a lot of action with second marriages, couples, you know, the late 40s, 50s. Yeah, that's interesting. I never really even thought about the the second half, you know, the going into the second marriage. That's probably, I mean, maybe even more pressing for those individuals because they have now gone through the experience of a divorce and then see all the fallout of the things that could happen. So let's talk about just the general advantages. Let's say I'm getting married. I have this prenup in place and then doesn't work out 10 years later, 10, 15 years later, whatever it is. What are the advantages of the fact that I put this prenup in place originally? Yeah, yeah, great question. You know, I liken it, frankly, to doing you know business with your friend. And you know the old adage about doing business with your friends. It's always a terrible idea. It's going to end poorly. It destroys relationships. And, and, and I'm not necessarily of the opinion that that's true. I think the reason doing business with friends is a bad idea is because we often kind of do it on a handshake. And... You know, we don't we don't manage one another's expectations. And you, you sort of think that, oh, this is my friend, my buddy. It's going to work out. You know, we're both just going to do the right thing. And, you know, unfortunately, when when money's on the line, people tend to get opportunistic and strategic and and they don't always do the right thing. And and so I think, you know, one of the kind of overarching advantages of a prenup is just getting each other aligned, getting on the same page. And in order to do that, it forces some very difficult conversations. I know when I was married a couple of years ago and my now wife and I sat down and we, you know, we had a pretty, I wouldn't say it was a contentious conversation, but it was certainly a difficult conversation. And it forced us to get on the same page about kind of where we were in life and what assets we each had and what we wanted to protect and what we expected to happen in the event things go wrong. And I think, you know, those two things, forcing that difficult conversation and being able to work through financial conversations with your spouse, I think that's extremely important. And then just managing the expectations. You know, I think both of those are, are frankly more important than the document itself. Yeah, it forces those important conversations. Then you guys have some, I guess, smart 
agreements together. That's really what it is. You're you're agreeing on what would happen if it doesn't work out. So let's talk about some of the elements within there. Let's talk about retirement assets or our investments and things like that. How do you decide if you guys are both investing for your retirement or investing and you're kind of doing this as a, I don't know, as a, as a married partnership, how do you decide who gets what at the end of that? Is it just whatever accounts in my name? I guess, is that just determined by the document and the conversations you have internally? It is. And, and you know, it really runs the gamut. I would say that, you know, probably somewhere around 60% of the couples we work with will we'll come to us and they'll say, look, what I have today should be mine. What my partner has today should be theirs. And, you know, if we decide we want to build something together, we want to start a business, we want to buy investment properties together, what have you, then that'd be marital. And, you know, I'll take my chances with that. Maybe, maybe that we should split it 50-50, but maybe we'd let a judge decide what would happen to it. I'd say that's kind of the over, you know, at least the majority of cases people will say that, but you know, you, you never know. We, we've worked with couples where they'll come in and they'll say, you know, if we're married five years, there's one outcome. If we're married 10 years, you know, kind of like a sliding scale, like the longer we're married. And then eventually, you know, they may have the, the prenup burn off altogether. So they could, they could have like a sunset clause on it where they've been married 15 years, all bets are off. And, you know, again, I think one of the, you know, one of the valuable nuggets in going through the exercise is, is that it really kind of educates you on what it means to be married from a legal standpoint. And I know that doesn't sound like terribly romantic, but it's important because a lot of people get into it and they just sort of mistakenly think, oh, you know, I'm giving away half. That's not the case. You're not, you're not giving away half. What you're, you know, in some cases, what you're signing up for is to take care of another person for a very long period of time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about that awkwardness because, I mean, I'm thinking back to when I was, you know, uh, getting married to my wife and all the romance, we're going to be together forever and I love you. And like, how do you start that conversation with your your spouse or your fiance for that matter, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, and say, hey, this is an important legal document we need to figure out before we get married and all that love stuff too. How do you do that? How do you break into that conversation? Yeah, it's it's interesting, and that's a very good question. We've actually um, we got got some smart minds together last year and put together an ebook. It's it's on our website. And it's it's available free of charge. But one of the kind of chapters in the ebook is is all about having the conversation. And you know, I don't I don't think there's a uh, a silver bullet here. There are plenty of lead bullets. But you know, I, I from a you know speaking as as a I think I'm a pragmatic person, a relatively pragmatic person at least. And, you know, I, I, if you survey divorced couples, for example, I think, you know, of those that have been divorced, like 60% of the marriages fell apart due to financial reasons, you know, kind of using that, that nugget of wisdom or that, that knowledge, I think you could, you know, you could approach your partner and say, look, a lot of couples get into trouble because of money. And I don't want that to happen to us. And so I think, you know, before we get married, we should sit down and have a a very candid conversation about how much money we have, what our dreams are, how we expect our relationship to work from a financial standpoint. You know, are we going to share a bank account? Are we going to file taxes together? I would start there, you know, but again, I'm, I'm the pragmatist here. I'm, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm per, perhaps not all, uh, you know, flowers and poems, but it, it, it's a fair place to start. You know, I, I think as long as you come at it from a, you know, a place of good intention, your partner will be receptive. I think you, you know, you have to keep an open mind. 
it can't just be, you know, your way or the highway. You need to be prepared to negotiate as you would with, frankly, you know, any any agreement. Right. That that would be my advice. I know you're right. And it's just one of those things where I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, you just got to rip that bandaid because it's uncomfortable. It probably is an uncomfortable conversation, but it's an important one. It's kind of like we had an expert on the show to talk to your parents about their finances as they age. What an awkward conversation that is. But how important is it to have all those things, all those ducks in a row before they start to age? Let's talk about just law, about how you guys help this process. What are you doing to help people with the prenuptial agreement? We do a lot. So first and foremost, you know, let's talk about money. I practiced law at a, at a fairly prestigious firm in New York City for many years. And the rates, hourly rates at places like that now are, you know, in some cases over $1,000 an hour. And, you know, everyone hates the billable hour. They hate feeling like they're kind of on a, on a clock when they start talking to someone. So we've completely eliminated the billable hour. We have a flat rate product it's uh it's priced right under six hundred dollars and that includes a live attorney it's not you know robots spitting out forms we actually we believe attorneys are an important part of the process important you know sounding board for the couples and so we get real attorneys involved we have coverage in all 50 states and we'll do um you know typically the, the process looks at something like this we'll do an initial consultation with one of the partners we'll try to understand a bit more about what they're trying to accomplish after that, that phone consultation, we'll go off and draft the document, produce a draft, and send it back to that, that person that we did the consultation with. There may be a little bit of back and forth at that point about tweaking certain terms, but generally at that point, they'll share it with their partner. And then the partner may or may not hire a, a separate lawyer. We have a network of about 450 lawyers, so uh, in some cases, the other partner will work with one of our attorneys to kind of review the document and do a consultation. And then we'll do one more revision of the document, include it in that price. Again, this is all under $600. And, you know, you take it to a bank or a notary and get it signed up, and you file it away and hope you never need it. We had a uh, gentleman call us last year on a Monday and he said, I'm getting married in Las Vegas this Friday. Can we get this done? <laughs> and I said, you know, I, I can't control your fiance, but we certainly can uh, can meet that timeline. And we were actually able to, to get it done on Thursday night. So wow. um, they, they signed, every, signed everything up on the Thursday and went off to Vegas Friday morning to get married. You go through the process, you do the consultation, you create the document, and it's signed and delivered, and that's your package for about $599. Is that right? That's correct. And there's, um, you know, a lot, a lot of folks mistakenly believe you need to get the courts or a judge involved. You don't. You, it's kind of like a will. You, you know, you properly sign it, initial it, get it notarized, witnessed in some case, and, and keep it in your uh, file cabinet or I guess people don't have file cabinets nowadays, but keep it in your sock drawer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, we got a we got a safe in our house. That's where we keep our will and things like that. So that makes a lot of sense. So you guys are making this process a lot easier. It sounds like you're already having quite a few folks go through this process. How long have you guys been doing this? And you mentioned that great example. How many people have you helped so far? Oh, it's this is this is candidly, um, you know, we I mentioned we have over 400 attorneys and we do other things. So we do a lot of estate planning work as well. But this is absolutely our best-selling product or service. At our peak, wedding season, you know, kind of comes and goes, right? Like we're in a bit of a lull right now. Typically around the holidays, things slow down and they're about to start picking back up. But, you know, during the peak uh, wedding season last year, we were doing, you know, 15 of these a week. This is supposed to be a banner year for weddings. I, I suspect we'll, um, we'll see a, a pretty substantial increase in our business this year. 
there's somebody listening right now and they're thinking, yeah, I probably should do this. Just tell them one more pragmatic reason why this is probably a smart idea if you are considering getting married in the near future. Yeah, I mean, because it's 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 about more than money, right? So, you know, a lot of people will come to us and say, I have family heirlooms, you know, I have a watch or it's not worth a lot of money, but I just need to, to make sure that it's protected or we have we have pets that we've been caring for together. I want to I want to talk about what's going to happen to my pets. And so I, I just think it's a really it's a really good way to force yourself to think kind of holistically about what the marriage means to you and what you expect to accomplish and and how things should be handled if if they go the wrong way. So it really just does give you a lot of peace of mind entering marriage, you know, knowing that you have that protection and knowing that you and your partner were mature and compassionate enough to sit down and have difficult conversations and work through it. I think this is great advice, Jason. As much as I am a romantic, which I am, I realize the statistics are real. 40 to 50% of marriages do end in divorce. And yeah, it's good to have a plan. It's good to have a plan like a lot of things that we've got in life. If you are interested in doing something like this, check out Just Law at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash justlaw. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash justlaw. They are an affiliate that I'm partnering with on this mission. I think it's a great thing for couples to prepare. And this is something that I'm uh, advocating for. So Jason, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Andy, thanks for having me. It's been awesome. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. To keep this show running and to help your buddy Andy smile because I'm a crazy words of affirmation junkie, I'd like to ask you to do one quick favor for me to support this show. That's please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give the show a shout out on social media by tagging at Andy Hill MKM. Those reviews and those shout outs, they help more people to find this family empowering pod. Uh, to encourage you to leave a review or a social shout out, each month we do a book giveaway. So we received five reviews and social shout outs since our last book giveaway offer. This quarter, we're going to be giving away three different books from past podcast guests. The first one is Take Back Your Time by Christy Wright. The second one is Debt Free or Die Trying by Marcus Garrett. And the last one is Get Good With Money by Tiffany Aliche. And to help me pick the winner this week, I've got my assistant Zoe here to help me. I'm thinking, how does that help? Oh, I'm great. (laughs) What was that? I'm great. You're great. Yes. I think she knows what I'm going to say each week because it's, or not we, each month. So Zoe, how's it going, babe? Yeah, I got a script, you know, kind of makes things easier. You doing good? I'm good. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being here. And why don't we do a money quiz? What do you think about that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Cue that music. So what we do with the money quiz, everybody, is that I ask Zoe three questions. I get three dollars. And for every question she gets right, she gets a dollar. So let's rock and roll. Question number one. Zoe, you're turning 10 next week. I am. (laughs) I can't believe you're going to be 10. That kind of blows my mind, actually. But anyway, the good news is, you know how our, our chore money works, right? You turn 10, how much do you get each week? 
Awesome. So that's the good news. And the okay news is that your chores are going to get slightly harder. What do you think about that? No. No. Okay. So, well, the question is whether it's going to happen. So what the question is, why do you think it's good to do chores? When you do a chore, you're actually helping your family with taking care of the house. And you also earn money. That is cool. So it's good to help your family? Yeah, it's good to help a family and make the house clean. I love that. That's a correct answer, everybody. A dollar for Zoe goes into her account. Speaking of $10, that's another dollar. All right, question number two. Recently, you went to Five Below with I your did, mama. And it was awesome because I gave it nine stars and it was so good. Five Below was awesome. Awesome, yeah. So recently you went to Five Below with your debit card. Now, before you buy stuff with your debit card, what do you need to make sure to do beforehand? You need to count your money and make sure you have all the money. You need to make sure you have all the money. Mm -hmm. And then I do this, but... You count $5 less just in case you spend it too much. Yeah, that's a good plan just in case some transactions might be happening and that might mess you up. You don't want to go into overdraft, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's cool. And and maybe you work with a bank that has some overdraft protection like like we do. Ally. Helps us with that. Makes it easy. That's a correct answer. Way to go, Zoe. All right. Question number three. Recently, the Dollar Tree raised their prices from $1 to $1.25. I have a question for you, Zoe. Why do you think they did that? Because when they do a dollar, they don't really give taxes. And I think a dollar twenty-five is them giving the taxes. Mm. That's showing like the taxes. But also, I don't understand why. Dollar Tree, are you gonna raise your name to a dollar twenty-five or something? Right. They should be called a dollar twenty-five tree, right? Yeah. Then we'll have to start going to Family Dollar. The show, I actually talked with somebody about what's called inflation. So it's like when prices go up because the costs of goods and services to make those things go up too. So they have to pay for them. I think if they're going to raise the price, then they're probably going to like get more stuff maybe like yeah. notebooks or something that's like actually that. what i what i heard is that by raising the price they can offer you more stuff yeah so there's a little bit good but a little bit bad because they already started their company and now they're gonna make it a dollar 25 yeah so it's almost like somewhere in between five below and dollar tree if they can offer you more yeah. stuff for maybe a quarter in so. my opinion Five Below is the best. It is. Five Below is great. It's better than Target. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's a correct answer. Mostly it was a conversation, but that works anyway. Another dollar for you, Zoe. Congratulations. And you are $3 richer in your ally account. Richer. Zoe, I'm very proud of you. $3. Why don't we jump into our review? Okay. All right, here we go. Zoe, so we got five reviews and social shout outs since last month. So can you help us with that? Of course. Alexa, pick a number between one and five. Here's a number between one and five. It's one. Oh, well, our number first one. review comes in from Brian. And he left it on Spotify, which is kind of cool. He gave the show five stars oh, wow. and left this comment on Instagram. You want to read it here, Zoe? I listen to a whole litany of finance podcasts. 
Yours is by far the most relatable while being zero pressure and without condensation. Every situation is different and people need to do what's right for them. Look forward to listening every week, my friend. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much for that. Oh my gosh, it had very nice wine emoji, bread and wine. A bread and wine emoji. Maybe he likes our conversations that I have with mommy, which which we do every once in a while. So Zoe, thank you very much for reading that. And thank you, Brian, for leaving that awesome review. I'll be messaging you shortly and asking which book you'd like, or if you want something from the Marriage, Kids, and Money swag store. Those are like t-shirts and mugs and hoodies and... Merch. There you go. That's a better word. Merch? merch. Is merch better than swag? Yeah, that's, that's what it's called. Oh, it's merch. called merch. Okay, so it's called the merch store. Thank you for keeping me, like, young You're and cool. Welcome. Because I don't want to, like, sound old sometimes, yeah. you know? Even though I am 40 and you're 9. But whatever. Anyway, so please leave a review, everybody. If you are interested in hanging out with Zoe and I and leaving a nice review, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Or Stitcher. Well, yeah, it used to be Stitcher. They got rid of that, right? That's how long you've been with me. That's awesome. And take a screenshot of your review and email me at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com. Or if you don't have Apple Podcasts, used to be Stitcher, like Zoe said, but you can leave us a rating on Spotify. I know there's lots of news about Spotify lately. Anyway, leave a nice rating there and screenshot it. And you can give me a shout out on your favorite social media platform and tag me at Andy Hill MKM. That would be awesome. Again, I love all these words of affirmation. So I'm kind of addicted to it. And that's partly the reason we do this nice section. So Zoe, thank you very much. And thank you, Brian, again. Yeah. And buy some merch. Buy some merch. <laughs> MarriageKidsAndMoney.com slash store. Yeah. Merch. merch. MarriageKidsAndMoney.com slash store. MarriageKidsAndMoney.com dot gmail. Do no, not to hips, gmail. Hips dot something something. No. Just yeah. marriagekidsandmoney.com slash oh. store. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's what people go, need to go, know. Go there. There, go there. Yeah. All right, see you, everybody. In February, we've got an excellent lineup, and I'm so excited to share it with you all. Next Monday, February 14th, in an ironic twist for Valentine's Day, we are hosting Rayford Palmer, who is the author of the new book, I Just Want This Done, How Smart, Successful People Divorce Without Losing Their Kids, Money, and Minds. It's my first divorce-focused episode in five years, and... It's kind of funny that I haven't done that, but I feel like I should because, hey, man, 40 to 50% of marriages end in divorce, and that's a big topic for marriage, kids, and money. So anyway, if you are in the process of a divorce or you are considering it, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Well, enjoy. That's kind of a funny word. Anyway, check it out. The Monday after that, February 21st, we'll be answering another question from the Marriage, Kids, and Money community about what to do when you receive a $1 million inheritance. And uh, yeah, this is a voicemail from somebody, so we're going to help me answer that question. And we are going to highlight Sammy Womack in that same episode, who grew her net worth to over $300,000 by age 33. And we're going to talk about how she did that. Though Monday after that, February 28th, we'll be answering some more marriage, kids, and money questions, specifically about family financial independence. And we are going to highlight a Coast Fire win from Brad Long from Atlanta after he hit $1 million in his investments and what Coast Fire means to him. And then on Fridays, you'll hear more bread and wine with my wife, Nicole. This is a candid chat between a husband and a wife where we discuss all things marriage, kids, and money while having a nice glass of wine. If you want to maybe choose one of our topics this month and support our show 
consider buying us a cheap bottle of wine at marriagekidsmoney.com slash wine. It's essentially like a, you know, buy me a coffee kind of thing, but we put wine on there because we thought that was funny. So yeah, throw a little bit of money our way on that way. We'll go out to the store and uh, buy a wine and we'll cheers you and give you a shout out on the episode and discuss a topic if you'd like. We did that last month with Phil and that was kind of fun. So if you want to do that again, marriagekidsmoney.com slash wine, uh, your uh, support there is fun. January, everybody, was the best month for this podcast ever. The most downloads I've ever had in an entire month. I am thrilled to be sharing this message of family financial independence with you every single week. And I'm even more thrilled that you're enjoying it and coming back for more. So thank you, thank you, thank you for making January the best month ever. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Oprah Winfrey. Doing the best at this moment puts you in the best place for the next moment. Prepare, plan, and move forward, my friends. Carpe diem. 